Welcome to episode three of Let's Ask an Expert, a show where a novice host asks expert guests above average questions. I am your host, Andrew Smith. Thank you for joining us. Wherever you may be listening, Let's Ask an Expert is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever expert podcasts can be found. And if you want to connect with us on social media, you can do so on Facebook, search Let's Ask an Expert, on Instagram at, at Let's Ask an Expert. And on Twitter for right now, as of right this second, um, at ask, ask, ask an expert show. That's a tongue twister. Boy, the thing was, and if you if you listen to the earlier episodes, it was we were looking for at let's ask an expert. But then I entered a birth date that made me appear to Twitter as if I was three days old. So they blocked me and I had to come up with a new one. Then they said, as of yesterday, last night on uh, Friday... No, actually, you're fine. We'll go ahead and unblock your account. So we'll probably be migrating over to the at Let's Ask an Expert account very soon. Um, but as of right now, at Ask an Expert Show. That's where you can find us on Twitter. Uh, we have today a very interesting guest, a very talented uh, guest, not someone who has an expertise in something that I often come across. Uh, you don't meet someone that is an expert in the area in which they are an expert in, but I was fortunate enough to do so. Our expert today is an expert in the long-running TV game show, Wheel of Fortune. If you don't remember seeing him on there, perhaps you've also seen his work as the director of content for the Tampa Bay Vipers in the 2020 version of the XFL. Worked for The Herd with Colin Coward on FS1 and The Muppets, which is a hell of a resume, I must say. Please welcome to the show today, Andrew Sampson. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, fellow Andrew S. We've yes. Come together. I appreciate that intro, by the way, you know, because it's it's odd to say that I'm an expert at Wheel of Fortune, because that kind of sounds like it would be an oxymoron, you know? <laughs> um, people don't, I even, even I feel strange saying it, because people don't think it's like a game that requires that much expertise, I'd say. But uh, that's why we're here, I guess. Like rich man, I, I said what? What did I say? Rich man's hangman, I think, originally? Is how I kind of thought of Wheel of Fortune. That's pretty much what it is. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, yeah, it's Hangman where you can win a hundred thousand bucks. So I mentioned you. You, you so you work for the Muppets. I, I and to this point, we've we've had several calls, kind of off air, off off show, and I haven't had a chance to ask you what you did for the Muppets. I know you're here <laughs> to talk about Wheel of Fortune. What'd you do for the Muppets? That's a that's a long episode. Uh, well, I was a consultant and writer for Disney's Muppet Studios in. 2007 to 2009 basically it was a writing partner and another uh, friend of mine we had pitched a um a script to them about the muppets running for president it was uh 2008 with the election going on so we thought it would be very fun to do that we got hired to write that script uh but that kind of went wayside uh because they realized TV networks would only want to air an election special featuring the Muppets once every four years, and they wanted something they could re-air every year. So that became our next project, which was a Christmas movie for NBC that we wrote with Paul Williams, who is famous for writing The Rainbow Connection, one of the greatest movie songs ever written. Um, so there were some other Muppet uh, moments in there. Um, but, you know, in the interest of time, because uh, you don't want this episode to go nine hours, I'll just say it was a very interesting experience. And I did get to meet Kermit the Frog. So there's that. Wow. 
That's quite a meet right there. Um, the funny thing is, so how we got connected again is I, I wrote, um, just a little backstory for like the, this episode, I wrote uh, a website called XFL The Blog. And of course, as I mentioned, you you actually worked for the league. And uh, Andrew just decided to follow me on, on Twitter. And I opened the account. I was like, oh, wow, a real person. You know, I, I got to check this out a little bit more. And then I, I come through. It's like, wow, you know, he's done some really exciting stuff. I reached out to him and said, we should talk about this. He said, no, no, no the real thing we should talk about is what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> and that's Will Fortune. So I was like, oh, well, I mean, definitely people would want to know about that. Um, yeah. Because, tell us, Andrew. You know, I'm not, yeah. No, go for it. Yeah, I can tell you know I'm, I know where my flaws are in many many respects, uh, many areas that I have zero enlightenment in. I'd say it's uh, the two that I know for sure are uh, sports and um, Wheel of Fortune. That's pretty much it, and 1980s pop music. So okay. uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> tell us um, where you're from. Uh, originally and where you currently reside. Sometimes those are two different places. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. In a quick nutshell, I was from New York originally, but I was raised in Sarasota, Florida. I moved to LA right after graduation, lived there for 18 years. That's when I worked for the herd and worked for the Muppets and then uh, moved back recently to be closer to my family when the XFL started and they had the uh, Tampa Bay Vipers. So went to go work for them. So uh, being close to my family has worked out. Otherwise the, uh, professional side probably hasn't worked out as I expected, but you know, a lot of people are in the same boat right now. Absolutely. Um, on let's ask an expert, I invite all my guests to have a drink with me. It can be alcoholic, non-alcoholic, tea, juice, coffee, soda, whatever you want. Andrew, what did you decide to go with today? Well, I went with water because uh, number one is I'm in Florida where it is currently 88 degrees. And, and number two is it's just my, my current way of being is uh, that for, to tell the story, I realize I need to be as sharp as possible. And it's, it's a big story, a lot to chew on. So I wanted to make sure I was set. So I went with water. Okay. So just right out of the tap or we bottled <laughs> it or what, what do we have? This is, this is filtered water from the fridge. So Okay. Filtered water stuff. from the fridge. Yeah. Um, I went ahead and made myself a second cup of coffee. Um, we have a K cup machine, a, a Keurig. So it's, uh, I don't know. It's the Kroger brand, like Colombian, what, what have you. It's not bad. Um, not as good as, uh, well, I had McDonald's coffee before that. So it's not as good as that, but nonetheless, it should help me power through. Okay. So wheel of fortune. We'll, we'll set the stage here to start out. So what my, um, my audience may or may not know at this point is that you, yes, you are an expert on Wheel of Fortune, but not because you simply watch the show a bunch and that you're really good at solving puzzles, although that's true as well, probably, but because you actually went on the show and had a lot of success. First off, why did you want to go on Wheel of Fortune? Because there's tons of game shows out there and some of them pay out more over time, but why Wheel of Fortune? Why was that the show for you? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it, like many people, it starts way back when I was seven. I used to watch the show with my grandma, and I loved the show. And, uh, you know, the spinning wheel and all the, the, the lights and the letters and the sound effects, it's, it's addictive. And, uh, well, when I was seven, my, this, the, the, the sad part of the story was my grandma was dying of cancer at the time. This was 1986. So my grandma and my mom hatched this plan that I was going to write a letter to Pat Sajak 
and ask him if I could come on the show. Now, if you know anything about game shows, they don't normally have seven-year-olds on there. So uh, I, the guy wrote probably this letter. Probably would have been some sort of record. That, and that would have been. And uh, I probably would have won zero dollars based on the fact that I was still learning to read. But <laughs> they did send me a uh, home game, and they also said they'd send me a Pat Sajak autograph. Well, I never actually got the autograph. I got the home game, uh, which, we, you know, at the time, this was 1986, so it was cardboard. But I loved it, and, and uh, but it always stuck in the back of my mind. I'm like, why didn't Pat, because, you know, when you're a kid, you assume Pat Sajak is sitting there in his office reading through all these letters. Why didn't Pat write me that letter? Anyway, uh, my... You know, affinity for the show didn't change. I watched that show all the time at the dinner table. We watched the combo of Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. And that was a part of my life for a long time. And then uh, I got married to my wife, Laura. She was actually my girlfriend at the time. This is 2012. So we're now 25 years in the future. And Laura's stepfather, my now stepfather-in-law, we were watching Jeopardy together and I'm decent at Jeopardy. I'm, I'm no savant by any means. And he said to me, he goes, you know, you should go on Jeopardy. And I said, no, no, no. I'll get blown out of the water. I mean, th- there's no way. And he goes, no, no, I'm sure of it. If you got to go. You, you got to do it. And I just kind of, I essentially just kept putting it off. Well, one day he sends me this email. <laughs> and he, I can read you the email, but the summary of it, because it's a long email, is, He said, if I don't go on Jeopardy, I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. He said, take it from a man as old as myself. I mean, Steve's in his 60s. He said, you've got to do it or you're going to regret it. Well, at the time, I really wasn't making that much money. I was a freelance writer, which is very hard. And I did think, you know, hey, look, I've got a once in a lifetime chance. I live in Los Angeles. They tape these shows at Sony Studios, which is 20 minutes from where I live. I'd be stupid not to try this. But um the thing about Jeopardy is, well, first of all, as I said, I'm, I'm no no genius. So I knew I wouldn't, I, at best, if I went on that show, I would win one episode. And I'd have to get really lucky to do it. And I'd probably come away with, uh, I mean, 9,000 bucks. I'd be like one of those guys who just staggers to a win. No Ken Jennings who blows away the competition. Uh, when you go on Wheel of Fortune, well, people on that show in one episode can win 50, 60, $100,000. I mean, that show, you get a huge payday. I mean, another show you get a huge payday on is The Price is Right. But, you know, I didn't want to win like a, a microwave and a, a trailer. You know, I wanted to win cash. So uh, the most bang for my buck was on uh, Wheel of Fortune. So that's why I wanted to do it. What led you to get on Wheel of Fortune? Like, how does that whole process work? I mean, you have the interest, there's the zeal. To get on there, but how does that how does that actually work pan out? Well, yeah. So I got this um, notice. They asked you to come down to this ballroom in in um, it's at a Marriott in Culver City, and you walk into the room, and there are a hundred people there, and they're all sitting in like ten rows, and at the front of this room, they have the contestant coordinators, and they're standing there with a puzzle on a slide projector and a cardboard wheel. And basically they go one by one through the room and they have you stand up and they have you call out a letter. And that's really the test. That's the initial test to see if you can be on the show, because basically what they're looking for is they're looking for someone who can project their voice across the room. 
uh, you know, when people watch the show, they're always like, well, why are the contestants screaming? It's like they're screaming every single letter. It's crazy. Well, it's because the contestant coordinators are telling you constantly that like, you've got to project, you've got to be clear because we don't want to have any debate as to what letter you said. And, you know, in this room, a lot of people got up there and they'd be like, uh, P and they'd say, speak up, speak up. And they go P and <laughs> those people got disqualified. So naturally when I got up there, I was like, P, P. <laughs> as loud as possible. So they do that for every single person in the room. And then they hand out this written test, which has 10 puzzles on it. And the puzzles are kind of half filled in and you have to fill in the rest. And then that you have five minutes to do that. And then you turn those in, they send you out and then they make their cuts and they bring back, I guess about, I'd say 20% of the people in there. And I got called back and then they bring you up in front of the room and you kind of play a mock game against three or four other contestants, just as they want to see if you could play the game. And that was it. Went home and another, I'd say three months passed, two, three months. And I got a letter in the mail, had the Wheel of Fortune uh, envelope, you know, the logo on it, opened the envelope. My mom was there and it says, you're going to be a contestant on Wheel of Fortune. And my mom, you know, had <laughs> been through this whole thing with my grandma. And that was the bond that we had when she found out that I was going on Wheel of Fortune, it was like he thought I was Neil Armstrong about to walk on the moon. It was like just just getting on the show was such a was such a big moment for us. Okay, so what I thought, you know, every show is a little bit different. Every guest is a little bit different. What I kind of thought we'd do with this one, is, as we've already kind of uh, talked about before, is that we kind of take a journey through the game and then uh, just talk about some points, you know, kind of, some bigger questions that people may have about just the process of actually going on the show and playing and what everything was like um, throughout uh, playing the game, which is, as everyone will, will find out here, uh, an incredible journey, um, even a made-for-TV movie-like uh, drama here. Um, okay, so you found out you were going to go on the show, and, and then what happens next? Well... Uh, that started off the intense practice with my wife. My wife um, <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that we did the best thing possible to prepare. My wife has her master's in theater. So she wanted me to actually recreate the experience in our apartment of being on the show. And luckily I had an iPad that you could flip onto the TV. So I downloaded the Wheel of Fortune game and <laughs> stood behind the couch as if the couch was like that banister that they have on the show. It would actually play the game uh, on on the TV. And we did that probably too often. Uh, anyway, so uh, I found out, because they call you and they ask you when the dates would work for you. They said, all right, how's this date in January? I found out that's what it was going to be on. That's when I was going to be on. So um, what happened was before, once I had accepted and I was going to go on, they said, well, first you have to come in as a standby. Uh, because I live in Los Angeles, they need standby contestants for every show, just in case one contestant at the last minute can't go on. So I actually got to go down to the show. I think this is in November. I got to go down to the show. I got to go through all the motions of what it would be like preparing to go on the show. Like they bring the contestants out, they have them practice spinning the wheel, they have them practice standing on the stage and calling letters. And I got that experience. And I also got to sit there and watch them do six episodes of the show while sitting in the audience. So I'm not going to lie and say that did give me an advantage because when I came back in January, I had already been there. It wasn't all new to me. Um, 
you know, one of the things is that's a kind of discombobulating when you walk in is you're not watching this on TV anymore, obviously. So everything's bigger. I mean, when you're watching the the puzzle board on TV, it's uh, that's you're watching it on maybe a 30, 40 inch TV. That's pretty tight in your vision when you're when you're there in the in the on the stage. Well, now you're looking at a board that is about eight foot tall by 16 feet wide. It's huge. And it doesn't fit in your vision the same way it does on TV. So you kind of have to get used to that. And you kind of have to get used to, oh, well, now I'm going to actually spin the wheel instead of just sitting there and staring at the puzzle like you do when you're on TV. So that took some getting used to. Um, but let's go into when I actually went on the show for real in, uh, in January. So uh, I get there, you go in, and they bring you in the contestants room. And... Um, by the way, I, I need to talk about my out. Can I talk about my outfit quickly? Sure, go for it. Yeah, I think we need to talk about the outfit because that was a huge, huge uh, <laughs> debate as to what I was going to wear. Steve, my my uh, stepfather-in-law, said I should I should go to compete and intimidate the competition. <laughs> so he wanted me to uh, wear a tie. So uh, we agreed on it. We settled on I'd wear a. Uh, a blue sweater vest and a tie, which I've never worn in my life, except for on that day. I'm not a sweater vest guy. I'm more of a black t-shirt and blue jeans guy. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I've worn that outfit once. Anyway, so I show up in my blue sweater vest and tie, walk into the contestants room, and that's when they really start telling you all about how the show works, what you should know. Uh, the contestant coordinators come in and they really try and get you comfortable and energetic and remind you, spin the wheel. Uh, you know, remember, you're going to have one chance to win this money. Make the most of it. Uh, Vanna comes in. She gets you pumped up, too. Everyone's very excited. There's a, you know, there's a very positive energy in the room. But there's also a lot of nervous energy because everyone wants to win, win money. So the show begins with a toss-up. Uh, after Pat and Vanna come on the stage, they you know, exchange their pleasantries and everything. Crowd's all pumped up and everything. Um, for those who who had not watched Wheel of Fortune all that much or haven't seen one in a little while, just briefly summarize the toss-up round. How does that work? Yeah, so the toss-up round wasn't always in the show. In, in the 70s and 80s, the show was just spin the wheel and call out letters. Well, they started putting all these uh, different rounds in. The toss-up round is there's no spinning. Uh, they say, all right, this, this puzzle's worth $1,000. The category is, what are you doing? Puzzle pops up, and the letters start automatically popping up. Van is not turning them. They just pop up one by one, and the first person to buzz in uh, will get the um, will get the 1000 bucks. So, you know, Wheel of Fortune, there are two contestants next to me. Uh, I was playing, this was kind of like their Generation Y episode. I guess they cast it. I was in the red square. Uh, in the yellow square, there was uh, this girl named Erica, who was a school teacher, who was very nice. And in the blue square, uh, there was Brooke, who was like me, who was uh, very, 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 very driven to compete. So we're there, and it's, you know, the first person to buzz in, and Erica buzzes in first. And um, she guesses, as the puzzle uh, appears, she guesses uh, um, reading the roadmap, and Pat tells her that's wrong. So the puzzle keeps revealing letters, and then I buzz in and I say unfolding the roadmap, and that's the correct answer. So I get a thousand bucks in my bank right there. So you're off to a good start. Um, you know that that's that's got to be that's got to feel good for you. And I think there's an even that little like uptick on unfolding 
the roadmap, right? Like the little like correction, like, no, 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 I got this. Well, uh, yeah, that's, you, that's probably one the of the, the, cr the cringier moments of me watching myself back is I do solve the puzzle by sounding like I am correcting Erica for her mistake. <laughs> I, yeah. Yeah. There, and in there, essence, there, a little B word. There, that's, yeah, Ooh. I admit, I, I think I, I, the th see, the problem with me going on Wheel of Fortune is I am admittedly by nature a competitive guy. Uh, and when I needed the money and I wanted to win and I spent 25 years of my life <laughs> waiting to get on the show, I wanted to compete so badly. Uh, but the thing about Wheel of Fortune is it's probably one of the friendliest game shows on TV. It's, it's you know, everyone claps for each other. They all smile. They're, anybody, you know, all three of you can win money. So... So yeah, there there are moments in the episode where I kind of don't belong. In fact, when I look back at it, I I come across as the villain <laughs> in the episode because I'm so driven to win. And uh, you know, I can work on that in therapy or something later. I, you know, that's well. But I every good about. story needs a villain. <laughs> you know, I would argue. So you fit that mold. So you solve the puzzle. You get a, you get a thousand dollars. You're off to good stars. We said, and then he, then comes the the host. Um, contestant banter part of the show and Jeopardy even has that and there's a little something about each person he comes over and he, he says okay Andrew Sampson right from right here in Los Angeles originally right and you politely correct him and say well no actually Sarasota Florida does Pat even look at the information he was handed before he walks out there or do you think he actually even cares it was correct he's just like I have this card whatever we'll go with it um I actually got to see the cards and they weren't like they just kind of they give Pat notes like small notes like uh, wrote a letter to you when he was seven or plays golf, works as a writer. And I think they let Pat wing it because, you know, Pat's been doing this for, well, I mean, at that point, 30, 35 years. He <laughs> knows his stuff and he's very relaxed on that stage. So I think uh, they give him some options and he decides where he's going to go with it. Fair enough. And then, you, you know, you told the story uh, about writing the letter when you were seven years old. Um, you got uh, no autograph, but the board game on a scale of mousetrap to Scrabble. How crappy was that board game? Oh, it's, it's definitely it, it, down in the mousetrap. It was, uh, <laughs> it's, that's all cardboard. It's this cardboard pieces. And remember, you used to be able to, it would come with pre-written puzzles that you would slide in the back. So there'd be a little slot in the back and you slide in the puzzle and then you slowly peel off the letters and there was a little wheel with a plastic spinner. It was, it was not good. It was not good. You know, the, the best Wheel of Fortune home game ever, I still can't believe it existed, was they had this electronic game in 1988 and it was, an, it was like a handheld uh, device with an LCD screen. And you could actually point it at the television and the puzzle would load on your screen. I still don't know how they did that. There must have been something in the broadcast, but that that was ahead of its time for 1988. It does sound like a look into the future, if you know anything yes. about 1988 electronics. Um, they were not, not good. <laughs> no. It was, it was the gyroscope in that. <laughs> We we then get to your opponents as as uh, you you've kind of uh, mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, the woman in the middle, the audience's middle, Erica Sanchez, a bilingual kindergarten and first grade teacher from Texas, 
Um, and your second opponent is Brooke Williams, an aspiring actor who moved from Tampa, Florida, up to New York City, as she puts it, to, quote, pursue the performing arts. And she recently ran a half marathon. How much did you converse with your opponents before the show started? That's a great question. Uh, I See, the thing is, is that unlike them, and this is where I have a little bit of advantage, I had been there before. So I remember talking to them about things that I had kind of picked up uh, when I was there the first time. I don't remember the specifics of that. But I do remember that Erica was talkative and Brooke wasn't as much. Uh, that, and I was like, Brooke's here to play. And that made me nervous. <laughs> I knew, I knew right then that uh, I that she was going to compete hard against me. So there was like a little bit of a feeling out process, or gauging their kind of absolutely intelligence for, in terms of the show and everything, and maybe they're going to reveal something. You yeah. know. Well, that's the thing. See, when you're in the room, when you start out, there are uh, since they're taping six episodes and there are two standby contestants, there are twenty people. So you don't actually know who you're going to play. Then they pick, you pick numbers out of a hat, one, two, three, four, five, six, and we all got number four, which meant we were going to be the fourth show of the day, which comes right after lunch. And I think now I remember what I, now I remember what I said to them. I said, you know, it's great that we got the fourth episode because we get to watch some other people play and then it's not too late in the day because you get there at 6.30 in the morning. And the tapings go till 5 p.m. Well, when I was there the first time, by the time 5 p.m. rolled around, I was tired. Like, I didn't want to go. I wouldn't want to go play a game show, you know, with all that on the line. And to be one of the first ones out there, you know, when the taping started, I'd say they started at like 10 o'clock. You don't want to be the one ripping off the Band-Aid and just jumping right in. So the fourth one I thought was a very good slot for us. And I remember saying that to them and they kind of looked at me like I was a big dork, which I'm not saying I'm not. <laughs> okay. So I mean, you got to, you got to know them a little bit to so converse and, uh, and, and do a bit of a scouting report. Okay. So at now at this point in the show, we're on second toss up. Um, you've met your opponents, you have a thousand dollars to your name. Uh, this one is worth $2,000 person is, uh, the category or about six letters I reveal before you chime in. And say the correct answer, uh, which actually I don't have written down. I don't know if you remember what it is. Happily married man. Don't worry. This this whole episode is burned into my brain. I keep <laughs> <laughs> filling my brain. It's not going anywhere. Um, so at this point, you, you got three thousand dollars. You're feeling pretty good about yourself, I would imagine. Um, you, you seem calm and collected. Uh, where would you say your in-game confidence was at this point? That was very good. That right then, I started to feel comfortable. Uh, but but you know, it, 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 once you start to get in the rhythm of it, and you know, okay, well, I now have three thousand dollars in the bank. I'm not gonna. I, this hasn't been a total failure so far. I started to think, okay, well, this is going in my direction. Um, I felt like I had some momentum. You complete, you completed a few throws on the first drive, and and. Now the offense is cooking a little bit, right? That's a, that's a better example that I. That's a, a better analogy. Thank you. It's it's like getting a single and getting on getting on base. It's like okay, I can I can hit I can hit these pitches. Yes. I, you know, and also I'm going to talk and and actual words are going to come out of my mouth and letters and and my brain is functioning. So 
So that, that was good. All key components for being on a game show. All right, so now we've done two toss-ups. We're, we're kind of now into the show show part of it, the main main show part of it. And uh, it begins, there's a jacks, jackpot space, excuse me, on the wheel, which gives you a trip to the, and I hope I don't butcher this too bad, too badly, the Mana Lani Bay Hotel and Bungalow in Hawaii. I got to correct you. Okay, so obviously you haven't watched a billion hours of Wheel of Fortune like I have. So that's probably for the best on your part. But... So they, <laughs> that ad for that prize to Hawaii, this, so that, that's, a, that's unrelated to the jackpot, the jackpot space. So oh, okay. they put uh, a trip, yeah, a trip to Hawaii is placed on the wheel. It's one of the 27 wedges that they place on the wheel. So there will be a trip to Hawaii. And if you land on that and you pick up that Hawaii panel and then you solve the puzzle in that same round, you will win that trip to Hawaii. Uh, the jackpot space the function of that is when you land on it, there is a running jackpot during the round that starts at, I believe, uh, I'm going to say 5000 maybe $7,500. My memory is a little, uh, I, I said I burned this on in my brain. That has changed through the years. Um, but so that's a rolling jackpot. So the last thing you want to do is land on the jackpot space on the very first spin of the round. You want to, you want to land on it when you're ready to solve and there's now... $10,000 on that space. Well, naturally, I spin the wheel and land on the jackpot space. How heavy is that wheel, actually? You know, it's pretty sturdy. When you when you spin it, it's got some weight to it. I mean, obviously, they make it so... And I, I'm... So, you know, uh, your grandma to your, you know, your strong man, whoever needs to spin that wheel can spin it. But uh, it, you when you spin it, you feel like you're... you're you're pulling a actual sophisticated device. This isn't like some some uh, janky wheel that they've thrown down there. It's not made of cardboard. Not made of cardboard, unlike the home <laughs> game. Does it? Did they say it had to go a certain distance around? I've always wondered that. Like, because on um, uh, what is it? Price of Right, it has to go a full revolution around, right? Does it? Does it have to go a certain distance? Yes. So it does not. However, they do say, and they make this very clear to you, that if they notice that you are spinning the wheel in a kind of uh, deliberate way, like they can tell that you're aiming the wheel, I think is the terminology they use, they will tell you not to do that anymore. Now, the first time I went to the show, <laughs> there was this guy who it seemed to be like he was aiming the wheel. And I'm pretty sure now, I don't know. I don't remember what happened, but I remember there was some like shifty eyes going on between Pat, between the contestant quarters. They're kind of looking at each other. Like, is this, why does this guy keep landing on good spaces? Is it because he's, he's looking? Is it because he's not? So I definitely think that's something they keep an eye on. They want to make sure that you are not manipulating the game in an unfair way. So as you said, your, your first spin lands on the jack, jackpot space immediately. And you ask for a T. There are no T's. You give sort of this aw shucks gesture. And now it is Erica's turn, the Texas teacher. Was T going to be your first consonant that you were going to go with no matter what? Or is it puzzle dependent? I mean, I guess there in the beginning, nothing's revealed, right? So you're just going with what you think are the most commonly revealed letters? Or what was your strategy? Well, this this was a, a bone of contention between my wife and I. She said that it... You, N should always be the first letter you choose. N. 
And I said, no, no, T should be the first letter you choose. Well, naturally, <laughs> I get put in that position and I guess a T and there are no T's in the puzzle. So uh, I have to aside with my wife here that if you have one letter to choose at the start, make it an N. Now, you know, yeah, there are there may be some other ways because you can there are different puzzles that come up and different categories. Like um, if there is actor in role, you know, it's going to be like George Clooney as Michael Clayton. So always guess the S because then you'll get the as, uh, the S and the as. But um, there are some exceptions to the rule, but N seems to be the hard and fast best way to go. I'm curious, one more thing on that. Are there, are there any like websites or any like analytics out there that have done like letter research or consonant research is like the most often um, the, the, the first consonants that come up in these puzzles or anything like that? Hard data, like a pro football reference? <laughs> You know, I, I did do a deep dive back then, but what I went back to was um, how often letters occur in the alphabet uh, and tried to find what the most likely, and it's all the usual suspects. It, you know, once you get past R, S, T, L, N, E, then, uh, you know, I think D comes up a lot, but, you know, you kind of know, stay away from your X's and Z's. It, 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 I tried to find the science behind it. I didn't get far. um yeah i just i I wasn't sure um but okay so skipping ahead a bit here erica misses on her turn then brooke the running actor spins a few times she buys some vowels eventually solves the puzzle for forty nine hundred dollars and now you have fumbled away momentum uh she is the lead where are you at mentally at this part in the show now that's when my yeah that's when the adrenal glands start to pump because now i'm looking at the board and I realize I'm behind. And I know there's a long way to go and I got to relax. But that was like uh, the first, the gunshot to start the battle. I was like, okay, this is going to be tough. This is not not going to be an easy day. She has, opened, she has answered your opening touchdown drive. And, and now we have a game <laughs> of it here. It actually surpassed it. Basically went for two. Um, so then the show goes to commercial. But it's, it's taped. So what, what goes on during commercial? And, and how long do those breaks last, actually? Yeah, that's what I was fascinated to find out, too. So the breaks last pretty much... I mean, first of all, I'm in I'm in a, a zone of not even paying attention. You know, I'm just so focused. I don't really... I couldn't tell you, oh, well, two, three minutes went by. But I'd say it felt like three minutes. First of all, Pat always checks in. He is so affable and so funny and so relaxed. And he just makes you feel like... He's there having fun with you and there to be a part of the game with you. Obviously, he's very fair. He's not giving anyone an advantage, but he tries to keep everyone comfortable. Also, the contestant coordinators, they are so helpful. They walk up there. They tell you, all right, well, the next you know, puzzle is going to be before and after. So that remember what that means. You know, It's going to be uh, two phrases with a connecting word. And they ask you if anyone needs water. And they remind you, oh, now there's going to be a $3,500 space on the wheel. They tell you everything. So you feel as focused as possible going into the next round. And I've just kind of realized, like, even though you and I have talked about that, and that kind of leads me into my next thing, you talked about, you told me about, like, how the, the contestant coordinators help everything keep going. Uh, what my audience may not know, even this is just the third episode of uh, Let's Ask an Expert, is that I, I, I talk with my guests a couple times before 
uh, we record an episode just so that we have kind of an idea of where things are going to go so that there's no kind of like, well, you know, I, I wasn't prepared for that. That's a really, really hard question. And then there's all the silence and everything. So it's kind of, I get that now. I get like why they do that. But I was surprised to learn that at first. I just thought it's like, okay, we're back on and now it's on you. You know, I just assumed, maybe like a lot of people do, that that's how game shows work. It's just like, and we're back. And then it's up to you. But no, they really, they're prepping you. And that, that's smart. That, that sounds smart, I guess, is my point. Yeah, you know, if there's one thing I really picked up there is that they want the games to go well. Like they want them to be a good TV product. They want people to play the game well. Um, and, you know, they're human beings too. So they don't want to see you making dumb mistakes that you could avoid. And I shouldn't say even dumb mistakes because there's so much going on in that moment. You're on the stage, you're in front of the lights, you got this big board, you got Pat Sajak and Vanna White there, that it's very hard to actually slow down and, and think about solving a puzzle and think about which letters have been called and not to call those same letters. Um, so they are constantly reminding you not to do that because they they want you, they want in their goal, you know, perfect world, like all three contestants would succeed and it would be a good game. So the show comes back and now it is Erica's turn. She's in um, the middle, the audience is middle as well. And it's a before and after clue. And she's just beaming with spunk and energy. I mean, she's just like, she got a giant B12 injection in the green room or something like that before you guys went out there or something. That's why they put her next to me, probably, because they're like, this guy is so dead and serious. We need some some sunshine. <laughs> and she was that. She was more than that. Um, she, she then gets a turn, and uh, she can't get it. And then what, what feels like it had to have been forever, you eventually solved the puzzle with the answer of question mark Wahlberg. But you do so not before glance over to Pat with this sort of brazen little grin on your face like you just tied someone to the train tracks. Is that grin and that look that you were referring to before on and, and you know before the on the air and before the show uh, that made you look villainous? Because you, you said you're playing like kind of the heel role here. Is that part of it what you were explaining before? Well one of the things that I was doing on the show was I was not spinning the wheel a lot. Uh, in that in, in, in fact, in that round, when I got back control, I spun the wheel twice when I really shouldn't have. Because one of the things that I've, what I learned in one of my strategies going into the show was I was not going to spin the wheel. I was going to spin the wheel as few times as possible because I knew that if I won enough toss-ups and I won the prize puzzle and maybe a puzzle in between uh, there, I would have enough to win the game. Um, you know, one of the... One of the things that they don't mention going on the show is that you can win Wheel of Fortune by two ways. Uh, one is either you make enough money to beat your contestants, or two, you constantly keep your contestants from winning money. And in that round, what had happened was Erica had actually gone on a tear before she had lost control of the wheel. She had landed on $3,500 and guessed an R and got 7000 for that because there were two R's. Then she landed on the mystery wedge, which is you get $10,000 or you go bankrupt. And she went for it and she got $10,000. So by the time control of the wheel had come back to me, uh, Eric, I knew Erica had about $17,000 in her bank, which means that if she solved the puzzle, 
she's taking home, she's putting that 17,000 in her bank and that would be an pretty insurmountable lead for me to come back on. So when I had the chance to solve the puzzle instead of spinning the wheel, I took that chance. That's why I think I was grinning because I was basically new. I was taking the fun out of the game. I should say sucking the fun out of the game by not really going for it and spinning. Um, you know, one of the other things, since this show is called Let's Ask an Expert, and we're here to do a deep dive, is that when the control came back to me and I looked at the board, there were no double letters or triple letters left on the board, which means that every time I guessed a letter, only one of those letters was going to come up. So let's say I spun the wheel and I landed on $900. Well, the maximum I'm going to win by calling out a, a letter into my bank is 900 bucks. I wasn't going to like land on a a 900 and then call out a R and there'd be four R's and I'd get $3,600. So at that point I knew my best bet was just solve the puzzle, take that little amount of money. You'll get a thousand dollars for solving the puzzle, no matter what, and just keep Erica from winning the, what she had in her bank. And in turn kind of shorten the game. Yes. I, I mean, I sucked the fun out of the game. That's what I did. And Pat knew it. I mean, we had this kind of back and forth where he kept kind of jibing me for not spinning the wheel. But then again, <laughs> I knew like, hey, I want to I want to take the, the the show is called Wheel of Fortune. You want to take the fortune out of the game. You know, I, I'm a, I like solving puzzles like that's what I like to do. And I'm not the best in the world at it, but I'd say I'm pretty good. So if I knew that I could just make the game less about luck and more about puzzle, puzzle solving, I would stand a good chance of winning. So we're on to round, round to round three now. It's uh, Brooke's turn to spin first. She tries to buy a vowel but misses and makes it your turn after a spin and a few letters. And again, you turn to Pat with that signature train track grin of yours and solve the puzzle. <laughs> Stunning surroundings. Now, you win a prize for that round, which is a beautiful trip to Curacao, valued at $5,700. And you're now in first place at $11,950. True or false? You knew where Curacao was located before the show. I had no idea. No idea. And I, you know, I wanted, yeah, I, and I went there and I still don't. Uh, it is, I can confirm it is somewhere uh, south of Florida. Um, in the ABC Islands, I've learned that those, that's down there near Aruba. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I wound up winning the prize. And I did want to say in the moment, um, where's Curacao? But I was so terrified, which I usually am, of looking like an idiot, that I just kept my mouth shut. Uh, but I, and I was also so relieved because, you know, we go back to the, one of the changes they've made in the game. They didn't always have a prize puzzle. That was something they added in. This idea that if you solved a puzzle, not only on top of what you had in your bank, you would also get a prize. Well, that makes winning that round so unbelievably valuable. I mean, for... For, for uh, excuse me, I just dropped something on the floor here. Let me pick that up. So for winning that round, I get this 50, extra $5,700 prize put in my bank. Well, that has now propelled me. I mean, that was, since I had 11,950 bucks, that's just, I mean, that's essentially half of my earnings. So it's allowed me to propel myself so far in the lead. And I started to feel like, wow, all right, the plan is working everything's good. This is all going according to plan. I think I'm, I'm in the driver's seat now. Uh, I think I was actually kind of numb with happiness at that point. And Pat walks over to you and mentions, he congratulates you obviously for, for solving the puzzle and everything. He says, Oh, we're curing that gambling problem of yours. If he's chiding you 
or how you're playing the game, what exactly was he talking about? Well, again, my approach to that puzzle was similar to the one in the previous round. So uh, after Brooke, what happened was Brooke lost control of the board uh, because she had guessed an E, which was not in the puzzle. So it came back to me and uh, I spun and I landed on, um, <laughs> I landed on 500 bucks. And now looking at this puzzle, I knew better guess an N because an N had not been called. And sure enough, as my wife had predicted, there were five ends. So now I have $2,500 in, in the bank. So I call out uh, a vowel, an I, because usually if you see an N in the puzzle, there's at near the, you see an N in the second space, uh, at the end of a word, you know it's ing is the ending. So I figured there must be an I and there were two I's. Now, a lot of people, when they're watching uh, contestants on Wheel of Fortune say, it's unfair if a guy calls out two consecutive vowels. I don't like when people do that. I, I think that after they call out a vowel, they should go back and spin the wheel. Well, I think that's BS. <laughs> I think if you have money in your bank, you should, and the, it's within the game rules, which it is, you should call out as many vowels as possible because the last thing you want to do is lose control of the, of the board. You want, to, you want to make sure you solve the puzzle and get that money. So... Uh, after that one, I called an O and there were three O's in the puzzle. And, uh, uh, Pat told me there are no vowels left. So I went to go spin the wheel. And, uh, right when I was about to spin the wheel, I, I realized, oh, wait, it's a prize puzzle and you actually know the answer. So why are you spinning? So just before my hand touched the wheel, I stood back up and actually confidently turned to Pat and say, I'd like to solve the puzzle. Uh, they actually edited out the part that I where I actually reach down. So it looks like I'm just turning to Pat and say, I'd like to solve the puzzle like I'm confident. I was actually joking because I had almost spun the wheel and, <laughs> and, and unnecessarily uh, put myself at risk. Anyway, uh, I told them stunning surroundings, got that trip to Curacao. And uh, that was, I, uh, that seemed to be like uh, everything was going my way at that point. Now with that, I've, would you have been obligated to then spin the wheel if you touched the wheel? I believe so. If I if I had touched the wheel and uh, and I would probably have been committed to spinning that wheel. Uh, now, would I have landed on a bankrupt or anything? I don't know. But again, like my whole strategy in this game was don't spin, just don't spin the wheel. And and uh, you know to be clear, the reason for that is because there's a wheel in the bonus round that I wanted to spin. I wanted to make it to the bonus round because when you get to the bonus round, well, you get to spin this wheel and there's the potential of winning $30,000, $40,000, $50,000, $100,000. So uh, that's where you make your real money and that's where I wanted to get. So the smaller the wheel, the bigger the prize. That's where you want it to be. Okay, so now we're on to the third toss-up of the game. This one worth $3,000 and it goes uh, to Brooke, which is an important victory for her because... As you mentioned, you widened the gap considerably uh, after you won that that Curacao round. And but Brooke has now climbed back into the game. Are you are you feeling her? This is like the tiger charge on Sunday. You feeling her kind of coming behind you a little bit here, and are you feeling a little bit of the pressure? Yes, that was because uh, you know they keep the board up, the money board, where you could see what the gap is, and I saw that. Yeah, she was now within about forty five hundred dollars of me. Uh, so I was like, uh oh, because um, not only did she she um, 
get that money, she got control of the board for the next round. And so in this round, this is where things get really, really interesting. It's So it's Brooke's turn uh, first. She safely lands on a dollar amount. She buys uh, a vowel, seemingly buys every vowel imaginable. Keeps spinning, guesses more letters, spinning more, more letters. Uh, asks for an H. There is none, but she's saved by a free play space that she landed on. Spins again and again. And eventually she solves the puzzle, which was like watching, as I said to you, like a 19 pitch at bat that just like fouled off, fouled <laughs> off, ball look, you know, ball outside. And uh, I mean, to to essentially play roulette like that with the wheel, it seemed like that that can't be great strategy, right? I mean, as you mentioned, you you didn't you wanted to shorten the game, right? You wanted to spin as few times as possible. She spun, it seemed like six times when you spun the whole game. Yeah, I would. I wound up spinning only four times in the whole game, um, but that was because you know it's like when you have a lead in, in football, you run the ball, right? You know, and when you're when you have the lead in Wheel of Fortune, you don't spin. Well, she was behind, so she had to spin to catch me, and I was watching her spin, 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 and her total goes up, 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 and she ran the board. And uh, when they announced the total that she had won, which turned out to be about $4,700, her total for the whole game flipped over on the board. And I saw that now she has $12,200 to buy $11,950. She now has a $250 lead. So it was her last spin, which she got $500 on, put her just over me. So now I know, uh uh-oh. There's going to be one round left, and if I don't win that round, I lose the game. So you did know that there was going to be one more, right? Because Pat then asked Vanna, uh, is there time for one more? Like it's her call or something. <laughs> but thankfully, there is one more. Well, now that they've gotten Wheel of Fortune down to a science, that they've added this... It used to be like the speed-up round could happen right in the middle of a game. Like there would be a bell that would ring, and suddenly that would be the last puzzle. Uh, but now they've made it where there's always a speed up round at the end. There's always one round where Pat will spin the wheel. He'll land on a dollar amount. They'll add a thousand dollars to that dollar amount. So if he lands on $400, each letter is going to be worth $1,400. And then they have one last puzzle to see if anyone could make a charge, um, and catch up. Uh, now I only had to you know, I was only $250 behind, but I still had to win the puzzle in order to make any money. So I knew uh, this was like, uh, if we're going to keep the sports analogies going, which we've done pretty well up to this point. Uh, I think uh, yes. this is the... Very consistent. <laughs> Very consistent. This is bottom of the ninth. This is two minute warning. This is where I knew it's all or nothing. I was going to say this is like down one, but the ball's on the 40 on four, you know, with two seconds left. So the only way really to score, it's outside of your kicker's range. It's got to get in the end zone, you're, right? You're so much better got... at the analogies than I am. That's, it. That's good. <laughs> so, all right. So the, we're on the final round. The clue for the last round is thing. Of course, that could not be more vague, but it's intentionally that way, of course. And the buzzer sounds indicating that there's time for the final spin. So uh, Pat spins the wheel. Does he do it once or does he do it multiple times? I thought you said he did it maybe multiple times. Well, yeah, so he he spins and he's supposed to land on a dollar amount. Well, the first time he spun, it almost landed on the $5,000 space, which is 
would be amazing because then each one, each letter would be worth 6,000 bucks. But it, the wheel just crept past it when the bankrupt. So he spun again and he landed on a loser turn. So then he spun again and it landed on a dollar amount. Uh, so, <laughs> but, so they actually wind up, they, they edit that out. Uh, so it just looks like he spins it one time. I mean, if you watch the show, you can see when they're in the wide shot, the wheel will be in one place. But when they go to the close up, suddenly uh, the wheel is in a whole different place where it wasn't close to. So he landed on 550, which means that every letter was worth $1,550. Okay. And you go first and you guess N, um, but you can't solve. So that... <laughs> That gives that gives the ball over to Erica. Now, here's the interesting thing about this too that I, I told you I, I realized later: a win for Erica is really a win for Brooke because she has nothing at this point. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, to say you're playing against two other people is obvious because, of course, you were the whole time. But that's no more true than it is in, in this round because you know, whatever she gets, I guess she gets. But then that just hands the game. To Brooke. So she goes next. Brooke, Erica goes next, guesses an R. One R is revealed, but cannot solve. Brooke gets three T's revealed, but cannot solve. So you've each had a swing of the bat, essentially, but no one's uh, been able to solve yet. So it's your turn next. You guess S. One S is revealed, and you wait until the very last second to blurt out a significant introduction which could not have possibly been the answer this was uh if i may cuss of this episode i what i would Go call it. A, a significant fuck up literally uh because everyone who watches that show knows you don't call out the wrong answer don't don't call out half the puzzle don't give the your uh, the other contestants part of the answer because at that point it, it, I think there were maybe four letters in significant. So it wasn't really clear that the word was significant, but I was so happy that I got it that I thought, oh, well, maybe if I just sound it out, it'll just come, but it didn't. Um, one thing I want to also mention is there were four N's. So just to continue what my wife had said, guessing N was always the way to go. But um, yeah, <laughs> once I had said... <laughs> so Life is always right. Is, yeah, well, yeah exactly. I, sh I should have known. So... Um, so this was where uh, I thought, uh-oh, I've blown it because I guess a significant introduction and um, that's, you know, the buzzer sounds and Pat says no. So now I, it's going to go to Erica and it's going to go to Brooke before I have any chance at it. And I know I've just given away half the puzzle. Well, Erica then guesses a D <laughs> and Pat's, the way Pat says he doesn't say no. He goes, he's kind of says, no. <laughs> like, like you should have guessed to see because he just told you it was significant. Like, he just, <laughs> like, they, there's all this, like, undercurrent in it. Uh, but, so there was no D in the puzzle. Now it goes to Brooke. Um, and that's, that's where I, um, when I watch myself back, I can actually see my, my, sphincter tightening and my intestines dropping because she has all the control and can solve the puzzle. Um, before we, before we get to that point though, we have to take a step oh, back. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, so you sorry. said a significant introduction and you said it kind of like that with that pause in between significant and introduction, the buzzer sounds midway through. 
So would your answer have still counted if it were correct, even though the buzzer sounded before you finished speaking? Uh, Yes, the answer would have counted. As long as you start and continue um, with your solve, you you can solve it. Um, but once, once, once after that, that's, that's your last guess. After the buzzer sounds, that's your last guess. So I had started, so I could have finished. But so I, obviously I, keep... I finished with the wrong answer. Why did I keep speaking? Because I, I, need, I knew I had already said a significant. So I thought, well, better try to figure out some word that could sit in there. And this, there's the word introduction, which... Kind of looks like it is, but it wasn't because if you look at the board, which is hard to do in a podcast, but we'll describe it, there were actually two open spaces in front of NT. So obviously, introduction would not have been the word that fit there. So yeah, oh yeah, trust me, when I watch that back, I want to kick myself in the face because it's just uh, not, not, a, not a smart thing to do. So, all right, so it wasn't right, obviously. Now it's, it's Erica's turn, but she can't solve, and she's given the no, as you as you said. Brooke then gets another chance here uh, and guesses a significant contradiction, which is obviously wrong if you if we could you know show the board. It just wouldn't fit. Uh, by the way, you're staring at Brooke this entire time. She's taking her turn. Is <laughs> it a form of intimidation? Well, or yeah, what, she what, has, what no, she it? has my entire... <laughs> she has my fate in her hands. I mean... I'm actually like I, I I'm I'm going turning white. I mean, she's holding it, and when she says, "I see," I didn't know a significant contradiction was wrong. I mean, when you look at the board and you're playing the game, it it kind of looked right to me when she said it. When she said a significant contradiction, I remember I looked right at Pat, like, "Is Pat going to say correct?" And then I looked at Pat, and he said, "That's not right." And I mean, you can see the reaction on my face. It's like I'm I'm like foamy. I'm like a. a a hawk that has watched another hawk drop its prey. (laughs) I am foaming at the mouth, hoping that she doesn't call out the correct answer, that the hawk doesn't pick up the the dead bird that I want to eat. (laughs) We've gone to a... This is 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 life or death, people. (laughs) I know you're not supposed to take Wheel of Fortune this seriously. I I get it. It's uh, it's almost embarrassing that I do, but... um, Hey, you know, uh, it's a game, and I wanted to win. Want to take it home? I understand, competitive guy. Um, your turn again. You ask for an A. I believe there were two of them, and you finally say a significant. Well, yeah. So I guessed an A because I uh, I um, I wanted to help fill in the puzzle because I knew all I had to do was win whatever I had in my bank, and I would win the game. Uh, but the A didn't give me much of a hint. So I'm looking at the board and you have three seconds to solve. And I'm like, it's a significant. And I say it like this. I'm like, a significant uh, contribution. And then Pat goes, that's and it. There was like the lights go off. seconds on the shot clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The light, that's Derek Fisher. Yeah. That, that Lakers. Like that was it. Like the lights go off, the bells and whistles go. I, that I was, I couldn't believe it. That it, it, watching it back, it feels like I dodged a bullet because it was that close. Um, and uh, Pat comes over, and now he's telling me I won the game. And I, I, I mean, the blood had was now completely out of my head. I am, I am blank white. And Pat said to me something like, um, 
you were taking seconds off the clock there. And I said, yeah, well, like, uh, I feel like the seconds were coming off my life or something like that. Uh, I mean, whatever I said in the moment there. But uh, I, I think that's a great line, <laughs> by the way. Um, it humanizes you, though. That's what it is. It's like, you, you look, you had that big, that big whoosh, oh, man, uh, kind of reaction to it. And it's just like, you know, that contradicted the train track look that we talked about. Like, ah, oh, I've got this and everything. And then it's. You know, you're brought down to your knees the very last second and you've got it. And that's, everyone likes that. Everyone likes that kind of last second finish in a game show. Well, yeah. And it says something about the show that, you know, for all the preparation I did and, you know, all the years I've watched this and, you know, it didn't give me that much of an advantage. I could have still easily, easily lost. Um, that it's a, that it's such a, I think that's why the game is, really stood the test of time. And obviously it's really well produced and Pat and Van are great hosts, but the format of the game, uh, I think is, is there's a, it's made to be fair. It's made to keep things close and suspenseful. And that's why it's so successful. So now we're on to the bonus round. You have $19,700 to your name. Um, you get to spend a smaller wheel, as we said, pick an envelope, you hand it to Pat. And the envelope contains an unknown prize amount that you will win should you solve the bonus round puzzle correctly. Then Pat allows you to give a shout out to your support group in the audience. Who did you choose to bring along to the show? Well, there was my sister Paige, my uh, girlfriend at the time, now my wife Laura, and my friend Katie. And usually people use adjectives. And uh, this is another place where I wish I had done a better job or they make it more interesting. I literally just listed their relationships and their names. And I think uh, Pat just kind of moved on because he was, you know, when he, I, didn't, I didn't give him anything to work with. I'm like, there they are. Because again, I was so in the mode of just, I need to win this game. I need to win. <laughs> that, well, I don't think he's looking for a life story or anything, right? I mean, he's just, you know, these, these people <laughs> that are close to me, they matter. They're here to cheer me on. They smiled and waved. And that's kind of like, all right, you know, all right, it's very nice. A, yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, in this bonus round, you are you are given the R S T L N E. Um, if did did you have? I mean, again, to go back, did you have letters you wanted to go with, or was it going to be kind of board dependent? If R S T L N E gave you little to no help, because sometimes it gives you very little. I don't know if it, if there's ever been a chance. I haven't watched enough Wheel to know if it's never revealed anything, but. Um, did you have something like this is the play I'm going to run if, if that, if I get nothing from that? Now we had talked earlier about like, are there strategies online? This is where if you go online and you look up the wheel of fortune communities, you'll see there's a lot of talk about what are the correct letters to use there. I, you know, I believe a lot of people, they, they have like their four letter combination, a B, a G and O. Um, yeah, I, I knew I would have to figure it out in the moment. Uh, obviously, I wasn't going to guess an X or anything like that. But people people do seem to think uh, the the B is a good way to go. Now, you know, in fact, I should have had this loaded up already. Uh, I'm, I'm actually googling this right now. <laughs> it's scintillating uh, audio you know, right here. This is scintillating audio, but. Uh, yeah, someone says, if you ever find yourself on Wheel of Fortune, this is calling the Washington Post, choose the letters G, H, P, and O. 
So there. Now, another next one says, uh, try HDGNO. I went through all this when I was preparing. So I realized, all right, everyone's going to have their own, their own say. I'll just try and wing it in the moment. But luckily, I, what happened was when I was there, you know, I had watched the previous three shows. And nobody had hit the bonus round in any of those three shows. Nobody had solved the puzzle. And I remember one of the contestant coordinators saying to me, oh, yeah, it's been a long time, like, since anyone's actually solved the bonus round. Because, you know, they, they're watching six episodes a day. I think at that point it had been like 12 straight contestants had gone and not solved. So I'm now I'm not saying anything, but the one they threw me was uh, uh, Ifa's pitch down the plate. <laughs> they so they they give you Aristiani and out of the letters uh you guessed eight out of the ten letters on the board are revealed pat reminds the audience not to shout out the answer has that ever happened has anyone ever gone like oh i think it's this oh that person would be mur- there would be a torch mob they would get it there's no way i mean <laughs> i know it's just like this kind of like you know all right Give him, give him a chance, like be quiet, let him concentrate, <laughs> kind of thing. But I just wonder about, like, has it ever really happened on the show? Man, that would be that would be an interesting uh, podcast if that's happened. I'm, I'm sure the person who did it is no longer alive because they were tracked down. But um, well, when the RST and LE popped up, I in my head I thought, all right, I know what that is, and so I start calling out the letters. I call out the C. I call out an H, and then I'm like, all right, well. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Just pick a pick a random letter that you think could be up there. Because what was up there essentially there were uh, two blank spaces and then two E's in a row. So you think of words that what 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 letter could conceivably come after two E's? Well, there's a K, uh, there's a P. Uh, it obviously wasn't a T. For, you know, so I'm like, all right, I'll guess a P. Put that up there, and then I guess to know. Uh, which I knew was going to be in the puzzle. So the, yeah, the letters come up and he, he like, there would be no way I would not know the answer. So he says, gee, good luck. And then I call out the answer, which was cheekbones. Um, which um, now, you know, look, I'm not a spiritual guy. Okay. I mean, I, there's a slice of me that is, but the fact that this is something I still can't process. The fact that the the puzzle itself turned out to be cheekbones is insane. That of all the words, it was that one. Because, um, you know, I told you the reason I fell in love with Wheel of Fortune was uh, with my grandma. My grandma was the one who turned me on to it. And my grandma was known for having really pronounced cheekbones. Like that was what everyone said was one of her most beautiful features. And when my mom met my wife, Laura, for the first time, the first thing she said to me was, wow, those cheekbones. <laughs> so like the fact that that is the puzzle. I mean, you know, there have been other topics that day for the bonus round. One of the ones was like proving ground, uh, you know, all these other random phrases. But the, that one turned out to be the, the defining quality that my grandma and my wife share, uh, um, you know we can get into the creepiness of that. I married someone who kind of looks like my grandma. I mean, I don't think that's the case. I think they look like two separate people, but the fact that, um, that that is the connection and that turned out to be the puzzle is pretty magical. And, and bring, yeah, kind of brings the whole story full circle. So how much then did you win for the bonus round? So Pat goes to open the envelope. Now, um, 
in the, in on the bonus round envelopes, there's thirty thousand, there's forty thousand, there's fifty thousand, there's a hundred thousand, and there's a car. So Pat opens it, and it's thirty thousand, which admittedly is the lowest total on the wheel. And I admit I was a little greedy, and yeah, I wanted it to be a little more. So I kind of gave an extra fist pump just to hide the fact that I wanted it to be more. But hey, I was very happy. I, I got my thirty thousand, which turned out to be the total was forty nine thousand seven hundred dollars in cash and prizes. And then uh, Laura, Paige, and Katie they come running up onto the stage and they're hugging me, and it was just it was <laughs> it was a really it was a really great moment. It was just uh, one of those things up. I really, you know, I, I still can't get over that it happened. It, it kind of like if you were to freeze frame it, um, it kind of looked like the ending to Rocky Four almost, except you weren't in Russia when, when the whole thing happened. But it's just people surrounding you, you know, fist in the air kind of thing. Uh, if I can change, you can change. On the ground. <laughs> yeah, everyone can change. Exactly. So it's, I mean, it's cliche of me to ask, but like, how did that really like feel for you to like to get it done? You got it done. Fulfilled this childhood dream. Well, you you know, on there and won. I'm 5'11 and weigh 170 pounds. I don't have an athletic body. I will never win a Super Bowl. I'll probably never even win a flag football competition. So for me, this was this was my Super Bowl. This was this was the highlight of my life. Uh, obviously, getting married and having kids aside, asterisk. But this was the fact that I mean, just think how crazy this is that. There's this show you could watch from when you're seven years old and then you're on it 25 years later and there is everybody still there. There's Pat and there's Vanna and you're, you're now inside the show. It's like, um, you know, it's like you're Alice in Wonderland. You're in this dream and, and here it is coming to life. Uh, it's just an insane feeling to have been a part of that. And so then after uh, there's, there's some, there are more commercials in the, in the version of course that we get to see, at the end of the show, Pat jokes about not forgetting to give you that autograph because, again, that's the main thing. Well, not the main thing. You're there for the money. But the second thing you were there to get, you wanted to claim, as you said, that autograph. So he comes out and he fakes the signature on a portrait of him and Vanna White. Did you actually get that portrait? Uh, I did not. Now, now, Pat was very protective of my feelings. I think Pat maybe thought I really, really wanted the autograph badly, like, like that I was going to cry if I didn't get it. Like like that he, he didn't know that I was kind of half joking. Um, so he was very nice about it. Right before that, they did that sketch where he brings out uh, the big poster board. He came up to me. I mean, it was very nice that he did this. And he said, look, I want you to know what I'm about to do is I'm going to sign a fake poster board. I'm not going to give you that, but I'm going to give you an autograph. Don't worry. I'll give you an autograph after the, after the show, which he did. Well, he and Vanna autographed a photo for me and gave it to me. Why didn't he give you the portrait, though? That's a big thing. Like a big I am kind of disappointed that. in that. I guess I have a new bone to pick with that. Yeah, this, <laughs> need the revenge tour. Go back on this show. Once uh, once this all, you know, the pandemic clears up and everything, we can start filming again and go back on there. Like, yeah, you remember me from seven, eight years ago? Exactly. <laughs> I want that. That's what I come back here for is the portrait. Well, you know, what happened was, I'm sure is they thought of it on the spot that it would be a funny closer to have him give that to me and they we needed to find a poster. So they went and took a framed one that was probably hanging in the hallway and brought it out. So there was literally no way of actually writing on it. Sure. <laughs> <'Cause>... <laughs> <laughs> it 
this is one of those uh, slightly comical, we'll see you next time kind of segments to wrap up the show. Um, so then, okay, yeah. so as you said, you, you, you've won the show, and much like, you know, uh, winning the Super Bowl, you get to take a trip. Don't forget this, this uh, Curacao trip. What was that like? Oh, that was incredible. Uh, yeah, we, you know, <laughs> I was always wondering what it's like to go on those game show trips. Uh, you know, you book it, you get there, and uh, we got, it was at this beautiful Hyatt resort in Curacao. Uh, I think it's no longer a Hyatt, actually. It's changed ownership. Um, there's an interesting fact that nobody cares about. But <laughs> in case you're flying to Curacao anytime soon. But, uh, you know, when I got there, uh, I check in at the desk. And I guess they have it in your profile that you won it on Wheel of Fortune. So the guy's like, oh, you won this on Wheel of Fortune? I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, wow. Uh, come with me. And they took me to this event that the hotel president was having where there were free cocktails and, <laughs> and like free, uh, free hors d'oeuvres. And we spent, my wife and I spent the next seven days basically in heaven. It was amazing. And the, the the resort was really nice. I mean, this, you know, people always wonder, are those game show trips as, as nice as you think they're going to be? And I got to say, like, yeah, it was nice. And they give you a thousand bucks per diem, uh, which we definitely overspent on. But it was a it was a great time. And uh, with the rest of the winnings, was that earmarked for anything or what did what did you end up doing with that? Well, yeah, it's, I have a very cliche answer is that I wound up using a big portion of it to buy uh, the wedding ring for my wife and uh, the other portion went into savings. Cause frankly, I needed the money. Uh, that's what freelance writing did. <laughs> sensible. <laughs> it, uh, it was sensible. I, I definitely could use it. And of course, you know, the other thing is what happens with the taxes. Well, uh, at the end of the year that what you win on that show goes into your overall earnings for the year. So I think that when all was said and done, uh, I said goodbye to about 30% of that money. Um, but not like I'm going to complain because, you know, when you get to make $30,000 playing a game like Wheel of Fortune, uh, it's it's not work. Well, the memory lives on forever, right? So, I mean, they can take some of that money away. But you have that for the rest of your life. Yeah, you know, I, I do remember I had a conversation with Pat right before the bonus round started. Uh and I said to him something like, I don't, like he said, you've won, he's told me you've won $19,700. And I said, I don't want to break that down to what that actually is per hour for every episode of Wheel of Fortune I've ever watched in my life. Uh, and he said, yeah, you definitely don't want to prorate it. And that was the extent of our conversation because I've probably watched about 20,000 hours of Wheel of Fortune. It's a, the, Malcolm Gladwell would write a... <laughs> write a book on why you don't want to go over 10,000 hours. That's way too much. Um, so it probably boils down to about 0.01 cents per hour. But still, I mean, that speaks to your expertise on this subject. That's good. I'm glad you mentioned that part of the resume. All right, we're at the rapid fire questions portion of the show. Um, if you're given the chance to appear on any other game show, and don't say Jeopardy, we already talked about that, which game show would you choose? Why would you want to appear on there? Uh, Price is right, just for the full excitement of it. Also because, you know, with Wheel of Fortune, if I lost, like, I'd be like, ah, I should have prepared better. Price is right. You know, I don't know what the price of a toaster is. I'd be fine losing. I would just like to be in that audience to see what actually goes down, period. 
which game show have you always wanted to host? Who wants to be a millionaire? I think Regis Philbin deserves more credit. You know, we always talk who are the greatest game show hosts of all time. We go, you know, Bob Barker, Pat Sajak, who are all great. But Regis did a great job hosting it, the way he teased the contestants. Uh, I think um, I'd love to do that. I'd, lo- I'd love to be in that seat. Not like I could do it as well as Regis, because I think he's one of the all-timers. You mean like when they thought that, that their response was incorrect, <laughs> but then he actually revealed that it was correct, those parts of the show? He played that so well. He played that so – he was like a matador. You know, he'd, he'd wheel you in. I mean, he'd trick you. So you want those, just you, that's, that, that's, your, that's your dream is to, is to make people twist in the wind on, uh, on network <laughs> television. Well, you know, by the way, as, as we've discussed in our previous conversations is I'm not the guy who likes rapid-fire questions. I'm doing it because it's a part of the show. But I like to take five years to think of my answer. That's why I'm here telling you about a Wheel of Fortune episode from 2013. So already I'm thinking – Huh, would it be family feud or press your luck, but I'm gonna to stick to who wants to be a million. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that, I appreciate that you're uh, keeping up with the rapid part of the rapid fire questions. Um, of your former already in the minute three. Of minute your, three of rapid fire. Of your former employers, which one would perform the best in your opinion on Wheel of Fortune? Colin Cowherd, Vince McMahon, or the ghost of Jim Henson? <laughs> Uh, well, let's see. I think I got to give it to Colin for that one. Nobody thinks faster than Colin. That I didn't actually, I haven't actually vent, met Vince and I haven't met Jim. Obviously not going to meet Jim. So, uh, I'll go with Colin. <laughs> if you could go back in time and write the wrong of anything that happened to your favorite sports team, how would you change that team's sports history? Now, does it have to be a team or can it be a golfer? It can be a golfer. That's fine. Yeah, I'm actually consider golf. I'm not a big golf fan myself, but that's you can go with that. Yeah, because there's, there's only one way I can answer that question. One of the great disappointments, disappointments of my life is that Tom Watson did not become a British Open winner in 2009 when he was, I think, 57 or something like that. And he went into a playoff against Stuart Sink and ultimately lost. If Tom Watson had won the British Open at that age, it would have been one of the greatest feats in the history of sports. I don't care if you believe that golf is not a sport. It would have been unreal, and it was right in his hands, and he had a bogey on the 18th hole because the wind picked up, as Jack Nicholas knows, and uh, as Jack Nicholas conceded, and they all know because Jack called to give his condolences when Tom didn't win, but uh, that, that was it. I want to change that. That would be the one. All right, and finally, true or false, <laughs> If you would have botched the answer cheekbones in the bonus round of your Wheel of Fortune appearance, a part or most of you would never have been able to live down that moment. Is that a retort? Is that just a statement? <laughs> Was that a question or a statement? <laughs> question. Maybe I framed it as a statement. I don't know. Because well, it is an accurate. I said it is an ac- Oh, oh I, I guess the, the audio went out quickly. That is uh, most true. Uh, I had a deal with Steve uh, and my mother-in-law, Lynn. They, they live in the middle of Virginia, that if everything went wrong, they live on a mountain in Virginia. If everything went wrong on the show, I would just go live in their basement uh, for years. Um, luckily, I didn't have to do that. Um, and just retire from society? or I think I would have. I think I would have just it. become a woodsman. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you don't have to answer to anybody. There's the, the, the cruel fate of game shows out there. That, that is, that's what's so hard about it. It's just crazy that you get this one shot to do it. Um, you know, it's one opportunity, your chance to blow. Yeah. Well yeah. said. Well said. Yes. Thank you. That, <laughs> those are my lyrics and no one else's. Um, well, I'd like to thank our guests and expert at Wheel of Fortune, Andrew Sampson, for joining me and agreeing almost on a whim to do this show. Uh, he did it anyway. He did an excellent job. So thank you very much for uh, taking a chance on a, uh, a, a new budding podcast and uh, uh, just agreeing to be on here as someone that I did not know as recently as probably a couple weeks ago and, and wanting to come on here and talk about this. Well, first of all, I want to say I think this is a great idea for a podcast, and I hope you get real experts at real important things in the future, uh, <laughs> not just game show expertise. Number two is uh, I appreciate you taking the time to listen to this story because it's one that I thought was worth telling, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity and taking an interest in it. No problem. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Um, where can we follow you on social media, Andrew? Uh, I'm pretty much Twitter only. I, I don't know how to use Instagram. Like I know how to use Instagram, but I'm not like, I don't operate in that language pretty much. I'm more of a literal guy. So Andrew D. Sampson on Twitter for some, uh, okay. half-baked jokes, mostly about sports. Uh, and, uh, I'm going to give you the last word, whether that's wise or not, do with it with what you will. This is what I want to say. Wheel of Fortune is one of the greatest game shows ever invented. It's a, it's a piece of Americana. And I think that I am just so fortunate to have been a part of that experience uh, that I wanna just say to the people who work on that show, who do so much to make it so special, thank you because it was a truly unforgettable experience. And I think it's because of them uh, and the hard work and the care they put into this show that has made it stand the test of time. Very well said. I almost had my, my hand over my heart while you were, while you were saying that. Um, <laughs> for my guest expert, Andrew Sampson, I am your host, Andrew Smith, and we will see you next time on Let's Ask an Expert.